0: Right, we got Ryan, aka Cloudy. Wonder if he's able to join, or he's just uh, just popping in since I accidentally pinged everybody.
1: Hulk as well. Let's see. I'm gonna invite them to speak.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for coming, guys. Uh, who, all, everybody in the audience. It would be cool to have Flosen on. Uh, he talked about coming on maybe in a year so mm. maybe in a future episode you. On. hey jean-pierre good time of day wherever you may be do i sound better now i switched to my good mic yeah, great Not you better. sound very, very in podcast mode
1: perfect okay
0: One moment here. Okay. So people in the audience, feel free to suggest uh, talking points and ask questions. These are the suggestions that we're going to be going off of uh, initially, but do not be shy to ask more. We're going to be talking about getting the most out of tutoring and tandem sessions, uh, the ratios of writing versus speaking, how much output should be corrected, And cautions with
1: practicing output. You're cute, closing. I agree. (laughs) Closing boy, getting some love. (laughs) Poncheras, ¿qué tal?
2: Does anyone want to start <laughs> should we just jump guess, into it is there a specific prompt uh
0: i oh, guess yeah, yeah. if, the, if the there's a specific... are in the
2: in, so, yeah, yeah yeah i know output. but there are many
0: there are many where do we want to start any angles to
2: take is the thing
0: so i'll i'll start us off um the team designed an output curriculum and okay. we've had a couple of people in our coaching go through output and It involves a lot of things that you can do on your own. So I know that's just, that's typical refold, right? People are like, let's learn a language to not speak it with other people. But um, it involves essentially the, the, the Cliss notes for our output are make a list of small talk questions and conversate like talking points, things that you predict you'll have to talk about in your target language. And then practice answering them with writing and then bringing that to a native tutor and getting feedback. Then we recommend doing things again that you can do on your own and then getting feedback on them sort of asynchronously. So one thing we recommend is practicing, uh, like doing reaction videos and monologuing. So if you, for example, are a huge fan of Hunter Hunter or something, you could try to summarize it in your target language. And then whenever you need to use English, use English, make a mental note, come back to it and come back, go over it with a tutor and find what, what the best word would be. So a lot of our output practice is actually stuff that we have you doing on your own. Uh, speaking, <laughs> speaking, free conversation with a tutor is actually the very last thing we recommend. Doing. Um, and we've had a couple people go through this. So we've had a couple people go through it for French, and then a couple people go through it for Japanese. I don't think we've had anybody go through it for like Spanish or Korean yet, but that's sort of <laughs> what we've seen. And as far as what I can tell, it works. Um, and the nice thing is, is that since you are practicing output without a partner, you can do it anytime. You, you know, you're not limited to like, oh, I need to do something in, in Japanese time while you're over in, you know, South America or whatever, right? Like the time zone difference can be pretty big and that can be a barrier. Mm -hmm. one second here looks like we got some questions so how do you determine whether it works or not so i don't have the longitudinal data on that yet uh hulk because again our output curriculum is only like half a year old but i've seen people go from being very confident with their uh their input usually like people particularly Japanese learners. They get very comfortable, like free flowing their seasonal anime and understanding to being very comfortable outputting. Now, given that I don't speak Japanese and I'm not in the sessions with them, I cannot say how well it works or how well it doesn't. But I can say it does wonders for their confidence when it comes to outputting and it becomes much more natural. Bonchera says, I've heard about choosing an interview and pretending to be either the guest or the host. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. One of my main things that I recommend to people when they're ready to start outputting, and they've sort of passed the output techniques they can do on their own, is to go in to a session, bring like a short news article, something interesting, Japanese uh, manages to fly by tying 50 balloons to his chair, read it, and then discuss it. That way you get the corrected reading where they correct you on your reading while you're you're reading the article, and then Mm -hmm. you have a neat topic to talk about. And I think going in with with an interview and pretending to be the guest or the host also works.
2: Um, Yeah. Um, No, I was just going to say that I like this. Uh, This is somewhat different because this is not with uh, another person, but something I do on my own. I don't know if other people do this, but I constantly... Not constantly. Once I reach the point in the language where I feel like I can start outputting, I do lots of like talking to myself mentally. Um, and I think this has helped. I mean it's not something I like actively do. I just kind of it's fun for me, so I do it. But I, I yeah, think I'm it's also actually very big on just it.
3: talking to myself.
2: Yeah. Just just trying to make your interior monologue more of this. And one thing I routinely do, just happen to do, it's not like I really it's more that i realized i noticed i noticed myself doing this is that i pretend i'm having an interview with someone as if like oh how'd you learn this language what motivated you blah blah blah. also because that's a question that's asked very often especially if you're learning a language that's lesser studied um but yeah just i just wanted to say that uh i i I think there's a lot of merit to That.
0: that harkens back to one thing that we recommend doing which is preparing that small talk because as a learner of a language even a a, a bigger language people are going to be like why are you studying this and they're going to ask you every speaker when you meet them and they want to know about you they're, they're going to ask you the same few questions how long have you been learning how have you been learning why have you been learning and people are curious so we definitely recommend practicing things over and over and over again sort of doing like space repetition with your output because uh, it can be was, hard to, it can uh, be hard to innovate an answer in real time even if i were to ask you in english right if i started just asking right now in <clears> english <throat> tell me about your your italian tell me this this and this <sighs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. i don't speak it you know it would Sorry, be I, i'm talking to alex so <laughs> It, it would be difficult to just sort of free flow that now obviously you've had that conversation many times people have said alex why did you learn italian and you've given your answer but um imagine that's the first time you're being asked And not only are you being asked you're mm-hmm. being asked in your second language you're being asked in italian or french
2: mm-hmm. yeah exactly um one thing i wanted to comment on and, and that's this is part of the reason i think why my subconscious decided that oh it would be good to rehearse this scenario because it's probably helpful Uh, One thing that was just commented on was uh, how language simp says to speak from day one. I don't think, I mean, I I think a lot of us can agree that that's probably not the best idea Um, because you won't know, you won't be able to self-correct because you don't have like a accurate model of the language. So you'll be kind of shooting in the dark, but it's okay if you're with someone else and they're correcting you, but still it's just not that efficient in the beginning. But I recently encountered this this channel, or rather, Isaac sent him to me, or re-reminded me of him. This uh, Chinese learner named Will Hart, who has ostensibly really good Mandarin Chinese, um, and basically he he did like lots of output, and it seems like he I, either he's underestimating all the time it took um, to get to his level because he says like maybe 1k hours or something, but he of course he never tracked. But basically, his situation was he was learning Chinese during COVID, because he needed a new hobby. Um, and where he was when he moved to school in Manchester, uh, there was a bunch of Chinese exchange students there. And like, not a bunch of other people uh, at the time because of COVID for some reason. And basically, he was just surrounded by um, Mandarin natives all the time. And like pract- he was like, pretty uh, um, go-getter with actually trying to practice and speak and I, and i think it paid off so so i guess for me what what has worked is just like really waiting uh with italian it feels like and this is something too that i think would be really good to talk about because i think i know matt's talked about this before too is that even if you wait a very long time um to output sometimes some people there are certain people who just like still um can, can it's still difficult for them to start outputting and like they make very basic grammatical mistakes, etc. And at some point, I know Matt himself said this for him, for himself, he like waited too long to start outputting. And I think there's always that trap to fall in too. Um, and again, it depends on people's goals, but my personal opinion is that people who say, okay, I'm just going to learn a language and never output. Um, I don't think, first of all, I think that's kind of just wrong, but I, even if they think that, I don't think they're going to be of that opinion forever. I think that hopefully, eventually they'll come to the conclusion that, okay, I'm building a communication skill and I'm basically not getting the full experience if I'm not, um, you know, having a an exchange, a conversation with another person. And it's really enriching. I I, I think that at some point, to take another example, and I know I'm kind of hogging the <laughs> Hogging uh, up the this audio space here but there's also this um, um french learner that comes to mind who has done like an insane amount of input I, I think i've toast told toast about them before uh their names in search of lost words and they have like they I just reached just like 7k hours yeah yeah this i i think about this a lot and they haven't started outputting but they have 7k 7k hours of like pure input and they read like a crazy amount and but they also do plenty of listening they they have like really really what I would assume is really really good comprehension, but in my opinion, I think I mean they're at the point where they really have diminishing returns from their input even even when they expose themselves to harder texts and stuff like that. Um, and I think they I could be totally missing this, but I think they passed a C two test like three thousand hours ago. Like they they are very competent, but they just haven't started outputting. I think that's too bad because even, with the, even if you're saying, okay, well, um, I don't see the point because I don't need it in my immediate life, um, you would actually learn a lot more about the language at that point from outputting um, because you'd realize all the kind of grammatical patterns, word usages, and especially pronunciation uh, quirks that you haven't internalized yet um, through trying to output. Um, and and really, I think, yeah. It's really interesting
0: what you can see and skip over when you're just doing input. Hmm.
1: For example, gender for one,
0: the gender of the words, people yeah, learning a romance language, you can reliably understand who is doing what to whom and not internalize what gender a noun is. I gotta hit my um, And I've actually seen this. I've got a client who. Is now onto the listening phase where they're they've got five thousand words. So with our coaching program, we get people up to five thousand root words. So a root word would be like go, goes, going, went. We we limitize it. That's just one word, and we've been giving the number five thousand. And I've got people who are now catching their listening up to their reading ability. And when they go and they do something like Quizic or another sort of grammar based study tool they still have to drill in the A1 and the A2 grammar and that's not at all uncommon with what I've seen with the coaching clients
3: I think even with me I ended up like getting to a point where I would fail the A1 test because I don't know the gender of some word and I would pass the B2 grammar test because they stop, they assume I know the gender at that point
2: yeah yeah, I think the CEFR C- skills are just, it's just a completely different um, progression of, of what the, of expectations that you can't really measure it if you're learning primarily through immersion. Um, yeah, because I, I remember, I think I even looked at like a workbook at like a bookstore once of, of Italian grammar questions. It was for like A2 and I was like, these aren't easy. Like these are you, these are, this is what you acquire last. And I think this is usually the case of, of this is the argument that, um, yeah, what you learn in school first is what you acquire last through immersion, like like gender. Uh, in English, I've heard the, the S at the end of of um, words like as plurals or, or like just subject verb agreement and stuff like that. It's like, it's not easy. And I think also it's interesting because this In Search of lost Words person also did a lot of grammar study at some point. But they basically ended up saying that it really, for them, wasn't worth it, and that they could the that they that they could have just done the same thing with more input. Um, I think grammar. My take. I mean, again, everyone uses grammar differently. A lot of people like to use grammar to prime their immersion, so they can um, pick up patterns more or notice patterns uh, quicker than they usually would and then therefore um, acquire them quicker is the idea. I think you can do that. I personally am very lazy and maybe not the best example to follow but I've never ever studied grammar and at least with comprehension, I've never had problems. And if I ever make a grammatical mistake, I'm almost, um, well, I'll just talk with Italian here because that's my most competent language. And usually, I usually don't, Say something and like have no idea if I if I like messed up. I, I'm either like m- more certain about the phrase or I'm like less certain. Um, but still, that doesn't mean my grammar is perfect. It's like there's always improvement there. And I think for me personally, where I'm at, it's like I've I think I have fairly strong comprehension. I don't have much output practice at all, like really maybe under 10 hours. I mean, I had this one time where. So, I had dinner with these italian people and that, ethan, that was seven hours but yeah ethan says
0: that you need about 150 hours of output to yeah. even start getting comfortable and that's just the beginning
2: and and i think that's true i mean depends what you're saying by comfortable because interestingly with italian even though i have little to no output i th- i think i can output actually fairly okay like i can i feel fairly comfortable um and i don't trip on my tongue too much uh of course more limited than i than i that i want and you know it's it's i think the hardest thing for me the first time i ever really tried outputting it was a very awkward situation maybe i've <laughs> explained this to a few other people i was i was at my school my university i had this italian conversation cafe something i tried to start like a year or two earlier but like that didn't pick up because there was no one interested but then it was started by this actually Italian native, um, who's from Italy, and uh, anyways he was hosting like a little, like hey, you could you could drop by for an hour and like practice your Italian. But it was mainly meant for students of Italian uh, who, were, who were taking Italian classes, which they only offered like the intro classes, like a, not even A1, A2, just 100, 101, basically. And uh, so we, we ended up having a conversation, but it was very awkward. I was very nervous, of course, because this was basically my first time talking to someone. I didn't know them at all. It was just me and him in a room and I had never practiced small talk. And I, it didn't even occur to me that, oh, I've only immersed with listening to people, uh, friends talk to each other, people who already know each other. So they don't have to do this like weird um, introductory stuff or, or not just not just introductory phrases, this like game that you have to play with someone when you're first talking to them of 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 starting polite or what 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 register of politeness do you start with? And that's different in different languages that have especially the formal you and stuff like that. So you have to use different grammar and then how does that change over time and uh, like what things are um, OK to bring up and just a lot of things that like I only with hindsight, I was like, man, I should have like prepared better. Or there's just so much to consider in, like, an interaction. Like, it's complicated. So, yeah, 150 hours sounds like a good marker.
0: That's precisely why we recommend grinding and practicing that small talk introductory stuff. Mm. Mm. Because if you have immersed 1,000 hours, 2,000 hours in your target language, and 99% of that was fantasy, you may have a very large vocab that's great. But do you have what it takes to do those little... Almost fixed sort of formulaic conversations. So that's actually step one and of our, our <clears throat> excuse me of our output curriculum is grinding that, practicing it um, because again, people experience what you experienced, Alex, where, hey, I've actually don't know how to properly like handle these introductory conversations.
3: <laughs> I think that. I generally approach it or approached it a lot more spontaneously. Where for a while, I would just go join a voice chat that was in German and I would just quietly listen um, at the start, just to get used to like listening to actual speech and not just shows or scripted content. And then um, generally, how I got myself up to speed is that I would be muted in these calls and then like kind of making my own sentences as part of these conversations and building up that own little library of things that i could be saying if i were actually taking part and then eventually i just turn off the mute and i'm participating in the conversation maybe a bit slower but that's how i approached it as opposed to trying to grind a specific conversation um it also ended up building a lot of endurance where i ended up going into conversations for multiple hours from the start i think
0: So what are you on 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 the Im- out of the amount of writing versus speaking? One thing that shocked me initially with Ethan's plan to get people to output the refold way was the amount of writing we have people do. And retrospectively, I did a whole bunch of it on like tandem and hello talk myself. <clears throat> but a little bit less for, you know, um, formulaic with less of a plan. I just wanted to chat to people. But a lot of that chatting was done via text where I did have time to do lookups and to get corrections. So do you all have any strong opinions on the amount of writing versus speaking that you should be doing when you do make that output transition?
1: Uh, I think that there's a, um, something that I've been seeing a lot in the community that I think that, um, listening doesn't matter to some people like if they don't, don't plan to work on their speaking, they probably don't care about listening as well. And it seems to me that there's like a huge part of the community that only cares about like reading not even writing even. So like, I, I don't know, like it depends on your goals, I guess.
3: I think for me, it's a lot more spoken output. Um. Like I did some writing output at the start to get started and to kind of find those spot- spots where, like, I don't know the word for, I don't know, apple, um, or whatever. But once I got past that, I basically am only doing speaking nowadays, um, with maybe minor exceptions.
2: Yeah, for me, I think it really is preference uh, because I think the what one of the most important thing things in and starting to output is is to like not be too worried to be in an i know and Scra- talks about being in an environment where it's low stress you feel like you can make mistakes and um and whatnot so whatever that environment is helps uh that being said of course speaking is a lot more comp- complex because there's the whole mouth muscle movement thing which basically needs to be trained in a way it's like I think of it almost like as uh, if you were playing an instrument, I play drums, and it's like I think of it in that same way where it's like you kind of need to like practice certain sounds that are just necessarily not as, not, not there as much because you have influence from your native language, um, but yeah, no, if speaking is, well, again, it depends on how much you care about accent, um, and now I'm kind of losing the thread here, what was I trying to say? Oh yeah, uh, I know, so this this um, Indian Indian woman who, who in Portuguese, she was very big on doing this writing streak thing. So Reddit, there's this subreddit for certain languages where you post like a daily, the goal is to, the idea is to post you writing something in the language, describing whatever, talking about whatever um, daily, and you have a streak, and then basically you get natives to correct it. And that helped her a lot and and i think um i that idea appealed to me a lot at first a lot of people i think i think i, I don't know if it was refold or maybe it was just mad at some point so I'd definitely start with writing because it's just more simpler more simple sorry but i don't know for me personally i like speaking um i just like i like outputting i can't do it toasted which is like lurk in vcs and then jump in and that's like so anxiety inducing for me also it's like I, I want to talk to the right person I guess um this plays into the idea of small talk it's like I don't want to be in a situation where i I, I want I am forced into like small talk and not getting anywhere uh, with the person um if if we're if if we're in a community where say I'm really into chess and okay I'm on a chess server that uh I don't know i'm learning german and i'm really into chess and then people are in a vc talking about chess and then i can join and we can talk about certain things and it's even better because i'll probably have immersed in that kind of content before as an example so it's like then it makes it even easier i know femto is like uh is big into like say you like voice actors in japan and like things like otaku related or anime related so it's like If you have something that you're passionate about i think that's it's good to connect with people who have similar interests because it also facilitates communication that way because you you've probably heard people talk about this before since you've immersed with it before but for me i like to do irl immersion um which is hard which is why i haven't done much in italian but it's why i'm focusing on french right now because i have family to like actually practice with um And yeah i don't know for me it's it's more fun it's more for me it uh it signals to my brain more that the language is really important especially if i see the person in front of me speaking also some weird thing i had with italian i've probably talked about this before is uh like for me i had like no exposure to it irl until i was already like high comprehension and then i then i like i haven't been back to italy but i was um in iceland i was on vacation And then I heard like some Italian speaking and it was very surreal. It was like, wow, this is like a real language that people speak. This is like a very, I've heard other people talk about this. This is a very strange effect that takes a while to like undo itself. Like there's this like shock of like, whoa, like this is a real thing. I'm like, you know, this has, it's not just me and my screen. It's like, it's me and uh, and this whole other, you know, these people live their whole lives in this language. That's why in a way you have to like respect it, but.
0: And that's you know, that's pretty common for people if they spend most of their time immersing with the language yeah. and like you it, it only lives in anime and 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 comic books right realizing yeah, yeah, that yeah. people actually speak the language can be trippy um, but yeah I think that not having your writing surpass your speaking is something to be careful mm. about <clears throat> because especially with refolders we tend to be the type of people who. we hang out in like chat rooms discord um we like our you know our internet culture right Twitter um things like that and it is easier to get started outputting via text but at some point if your goal is to speak you will have to, to practice the speaking and getting that ratio right I'm not sure there is an answer um the biggest tip that I have Is talking to yourself, you know, um, Mm. someone put in chat that they like to imagine that they're a YouTuber and that's great. You know, if you're watching something, you can imagine that you're doing a reaction YouTube video to it and you're talking about it, like what's going on, describing things and your reaction. And that's a great way to actually practice on your own. Um, As for what the optimal ratio is, I don't know if there is an optimal ratio, really. Um, Beyond speak more than you write, which is easier said than done.
3: Yeah, I think I like that. I think that there's also just kind of, with writing, it's good to improve at specific things if you know what you want to work on and you have this idea that you can work on. So if it's something like, I don't know, gender is going to always be my example in German, but you can always just look that up if you need it. With speaking, I feel like there's this level of improvisation that you end up learning and like, when you inevitably forget the word then you have to learn how to just describe the word or find some way to roll out of that fall instead of just kind of saying oh I don't know the word and pausing everything um and I think that that kind of takes building up in spoken output to get really good at um at least it was in my case and you know I think that it might be helpful if one day I do end up going to my target language country and I end up in a conversation where I don't know what to say and then you know, I have this skill that I'm building of just knowing a thing to say even if I can't find the exact right words. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing with actually having a speaker um, when you're when you're conversing is if they're a sympathetic native speaker, they can adapt to you. You know, mm-hmm. they can rephrase things if you didn't quite hear it. And this happens in our native languages too. Like if we're in a busy place and I'm saying, I say, hey, uh, Gabrielle, hand me that thing. And he's like, what thing? I'm like the the pen. You're like the what? And then like I, pantomime what a pen is, right? Like a pantomime writing. And he's like, ah, oh, the pen. So <clears throat> that can be also a big sort of uh, mind sort of boggling thing to happen when you're used to like only immersing in uh, media, right? Where, where it doesn't adapt to you, versus having a sympathetic speaker where, <clears throat> um, you know, if you forget the word, you can say, ah, oh, the thing that you used to write with it has ink. You know uh you can sort of circumlocute in ways in output that you can't do with input because if you don't know the word you don't know the word right when you're listening
2: yeah well it's i don't think it's that black and white i think context can can give you an idea or if or if the word itself has um like it sounds similar to word you know before or if it has a root that's you may know but but yeah but generally it is more I don't know. Tricky to, to know. I think
3: it's kind of tricky because coming from input where if you don't understand something, it's just kind of gone. Then I get into conversations and someone says something that makes no sense. And then I just don't say anything about it because I'm used to it. And then eventually they're like, So what do you think about that? I'm like, Um, that's a great question.
0: So I'm, I'm curious here, uh, Gabrielle Looney. You are taking this sort of ALG approach. You've become an ALG teacher. You've got your YouTube channel teaching Portuguese. What is the ALG mindset on the amount of on writing versus speaking? I imagine they would take a very speaking-heavy approach, but I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> um, I think most of the ALG people they just start by um, speaking, which is something I regret not doing. Um, and, um, with ALG, we see this, um, phenomenon where, um, at least for me, like people, they seem to, to have the most of their articulation down pat, but the rest is not there. So, so like, kind of sounds like a native accent from a place. That does not exist from your, from the country of your target language, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> and usually like, for example, AOG, <clears throat> they usually teach Thai. The students who have the best accent are usually students that come from a similar, from a similar culture. So th- I, there's no In my opinion, like, there's no, um, they don't know how to approach speaking in AOG. They sort of just hope for the best, and that's it.
0: Interesting. So, they sort of hope that if you get enough input that's comprehensible, you'll eventually just be able to start speaking.
1: They sort of just wait for you to... Sort of have the. the I'm, I'm not background. sure. i
0: found that to be the case with refolders, but maybe it works with people doing ALG with tons and tons of comprehensible audiovisual mm-hmm. input. Because we do take a very reading heavy approach here, right? Where we have you doing lookups with Yomi Chan and having same language subtitles.
1: It's limited in ALG, I can say that. Um, it's like. Um, many times, like, people are perceiving the right thing. But they don't know if it is the right thing, basically. So it's um, it's complicated. I don't. I don't think they they know how to approach it yet. They sort of like expect that suddenly you you will have the right background to to perceive whatever you need to perceive or whatever. <clears throat> but usually, yes, like because of. When you take a listening-heavy approach, like, you're basically doing lots of your training, so you, you will certainly end up better, but um, it's limited, let's say, the way they approach it.
0: Interesting. So, when it comes to corrections, what do you guys feel like the correct amount of corrections is? Um, I personally don't think corrections are useful if you don't do something about them. If you don't make note of them and then revisit them later. I I think if you correct somebody just in a casual conversation, they're going to forget it just a couple seconds later. So this is again where I think writing shines because you can revisit your errors. And you can even, um, if you write something the wrong way and you get it corrected by a native, you can go back and put that into your Anki deck as the correct way to say something. Whereas, uh, just having free conversation and getting corrections without having the tutor write something down or without recording the session, I don't think is super duper useful.
1: Um, I think you should, like you asked me on my interview how I got good <clears throat> at writing. And I sort of found out why I think. What I did was I just created the right Conditions for my growth to happen by itself. What I mean is I developed a model of the language and No one no one I'm pretty sure everyone agrees with this. No one can correct yourself faster than yourself faster by the way um, <clears throat> So like um, I Could self-correct as I was going and I was constantly Readjusting what I was doing to eventually like every time that I took action, I was having growth I was learning how what to do what not to do and Increasing my perception so it's like, um, I Don't know if if corrections are valuable like There's a place for them, but like it's very very like um, You know the type of corrections you get at, at Grammarly or or your, your instructor in the, what's the name of that exam? Um, TOEFL? No, 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 the, no, no, the SAT, like uh, someone who is going to correct your grammar for the SATs or something, that type of stuff. That's what I think.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a difference between correcting the grammar of the language and then correcting things like formatting and punctuation and things. Uh, and that's a whole other skill. You know, can you speak a language is different Can you be than can you be an educated writer in the language.
2: Um, Absolutely. I also think pronunciation of... corrections are very different.
0: Oh, Me and what Alex... do you think about pronunciation corrections?
2: Just that they're, well... Um... I think you can start doing that relatively early. So, one thing that was eye-opening for me is I I tried this for the first time. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe in July. I I, I want to get back into this. Um, I probably should just jump into it. Uh, corrected reading. So I would like read something in French. This was, and then I'd have my cousin who, who was he's like, yeah, sure, I'll help you with that. And and I had to like double check a bunch. I'm like, are you sure you like. I feel bad like using people, but no, no. He was he was more than happy to like to to, to really um, be hard on my pronunciation. Say and say, oh, that sounded kind of weird. And then we would go back and forth of like me trying to pronounce a sound, then him saying it correctly, and then me saying it. He's like, oh, maybe do this. And yeah, that was super super helpful. It realized I was perceiving two sounds that I thought I had uh, down like slightly off. And maybe that would have gotten corrected with more input, but there was, it was very good that I was like, okay, here's what I, th- how I think it said. Uh, and then hearing like, oh no, that sounds to his native ear. That sounds off. And even though you think you have a really good ear, it's it's slightly different. Even if you have very high comprehension, certain phonemes, I don't know, it's native ears, it's OP. Um, but I also want to say, I think corrections in speech, Okay, I, I think corrections in general, I think okay memory, for me is like we we just remember things better if they're more emotionally charged, and if you get a correction that like, you like, for better for worse you beat yourself up about it, you're like dude, how could I how could I have made that mistake that's like so embarrassing, or 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 maybe there's you know a lot of people talk about like say with mandarin for example where there's tones you get the tone wrong people might think you say something else and if there's like some like really embarrassing for you embarrassing misunderstanding you're going to remember that very well and if it's a small correction um but it's like for you it's a big event um but if if you're like if you say oh uh if you if you like conjugate the verb wrong and the person corrects you and then you don't think twice about it you're like oh yeah sorry whatever then then you probably won't remember that as well so I agree but if I think it's just important to put yourself in situations where you don't need to be corrected that much I mean of course there's always going to be some amount of it but this is why I think like correction through writing can be more helpful but um and also why I think shadowing maybe or or like memorizing something memorizing speech and like just replicating exactly how a native speaks could also be an effective strategy but I don't have that much experience with those things, so I can't really comment on it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting what you said about your ear and thinking you said it the right way and then you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I ran into this recently. We're working on a a spelling deck for English, for learning English, and it's mapping certain sounds, certain spellings to the sounds that can be represented by that spelling. And um, not a single person on the team really speaks purely standard textbook American English. So it was interesting talking with um, our in-house linguist and talking with Ben and actually going over some things Uh, and you know I had it pointed out to me that I did certain things strangely beyond what I already knew I did weird. And that's in my own language. I didn't notice that I said the vowel in the word palm or ball a little bit weird. Compared to standard general American. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. Even if you think you have a really good ear, even in your native language, which you don't yeah. always notice what sound you think you're producing and the sound you actually produce. There's always a little bit of a disconnect.
2: Mm-hmm. I, think rel-
3: I think yeah. related to um, getting corrections and particularly with like remembering corrections, I think that. Um, Scott Baum was right that it's generally better if you remember a correction, and I definitely remember a couple of them. Um, But I think that part of that is that there's kind of this competing balancing weight where the more corrections you get just in general, that's going to make you more aware of the types of mistakes you make, and that's going to improve you. But then get too many, and you're going to forget about them. So what I found works for me really well is just getting individual periods of very high amounts of corrections. And like for a while, it was every two months, I would do some dedicated output practice with someone who knew Mm. a thing or two about German. And I would ask them what I did wrong. And I would collect this list of like 15 to 20 things. And those would be my focuses for my next two months of input Mm. and output practice and Mm -hmm. all of that. And then I would go to the Mm. next one and then I would get another list of 10 or so Mm. things and continue with that for a while. And that made my output okay. Um, yeah. I remember reading this one study that looked at, like, with correction frequency, is it better to focus on one thing or to just get everything corrected? And it actually found that between a group that had one specific kind of mistake corrected and a group that had all of the mistakes corrected, um, the one that had all the mistakes corrected ended up doing better, even in the thing where the one group had the one mistake being corrected. Um, it was articles or something, and then the study showed that people who got everything corrected also did better on articles than the group that only got articles corrected Interesting. Um, yeah
2: i was just going to comment too that it was all it's also been my experience that when i've done um corrected reading like i feel like pff, i don't need to do it for very long because uh you'll encounter your errors fairly quickly especially if you're just reading like normal language out loud <laughs> um i was i was reading from a manga so it was kind of like sort of slice of lifey and um and and yeah there was it was interesting too because there was there's always things that um that you're like somewhat certain about you're like wait do you say it this way or am i just making this up and usually your first instincts right but yeah no i i felt like after that i was like okay like now i need to go input and like actually like hear this a bunch more and like recorrect. You know my model of this and it's been the same every time i've outputted like i i had like one really really intensive um output thing with italian and it felt good but it felt like okay i'm basically at my limit of of how well i can output now now i feel like i have a lot more to look toward uh in my input and what what i can improve and this is the thing too i think not much is talked about when I feel like people talk about input as as, if it this, as as if it was this one thing where in reality it's so multifaceted especially if you're doing like uh just listening or audiovisual input it's like you can focus either on meaning and kind of let like the specific sounds fall into the background or focus on like catching every little sound and checking yourself mentally like oh can i reproduce what's being said here i think that's a really good strategy too um or just focusing even on the cadence like there's so much you can kind of work on and this is why i feel like language is like a it's it's a big time sink but it's just like endless it's just like you can always improve something i feel for sure
0: and we are actually nearing the end of the but uh before we go do you guys have any thoughts about how to best use like a language partner um I personally have had the best success making friends in my target language rather than trying to make a language partner and if you do want a language partner just hire a tutor that's been the most successful thing for me because at the end of the day people it's going to be lopsided they're not going to give you the same sort of dedicated feedback that a tutor would give you <clears throat> so you can certainly make yeah. a friend in the target language but do not expect that friend to be your tutor. Actually go and get a tutor for that. Yeah,
3: for a while, like, I did the language partner thing, but eventually I realized that I kind of just have to split up my German friends and my German tutors, because eventually your language gets to a level where when you ask what's wrong with it, they don't actually give you an answer. They It's, like, very <laughs> a lot of very small things, and then it stops being... Like, at first, when I first started, it was, like, there were very obvious things where it was like, oh, yeah, you're doing this wrong. But eventually it's, like... Once your language gets good enough, then it becomes that they're just going to say it sounds off or they're going to tell you some generic thing and you're going to be like, what does that mean? And they're going to be like, I don't know. Um, so then I found that it's better to just split up talking to friends in the language and then actually getting like improvements from someone who knows what they're talking about.
0: For sure. And compensating them for their time, right? Because Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: it is worth it into the bay. Mm-hmm.
3: And it's a skill set to actually be able to pick out things
2: definitely um i don't have that much experience with language partners uh the only language exchange partners i've had were on tandem and that was for crosstalk i was specifically doing this in languages um that i that i wasn't ready to output in so but i still wanted to have like kind of a conversation with a person and um yeah i i do agree that to me it makes sense to split the friends and um corrected like the tutors apart but like i think uh regardless like just this whole human interaction thing of like um having a friend in the language is is like a big thing uh it makes you feel more apart like more in the club um absolutely like okay you know the culture the i don't know it's just it's more fun it's more it's less you're in your bubble of a mercer um and you kind of inch you you inch closer toward okay just a speaker of this language who functions and hangs out and lives their life in the language which i think is really the end goal for
0: sure it, you know the the identity shift from being a learner of the language to just being a speaker of the language. Yeah. Okay. And we got a question from the chat. What do you guys think about the idea of trying to exaggerate the pronunciation before trying to dial it in? I've heard some people recommend this. Um, I've heard
1: that too. I think it's fine, but like sometimes people get results, but they don't know how they got those results. I
0: would um, be worried about thinking I'm exaggerating the sound than actually making it. Like if you're if you're learning a language like Spanish, where the uh, the single flap ra and the trill ra are two different phonemes, it's important not to go ra ra, 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 ra ra and think that you're practicing the single tap because ultimately you're. So that's sort of what I would worry about is um, maybe practicing the wrong sound, uh, you know, or. I don't know. One thing I've been told when I speak Filipino is I sound like a newscast. You know, my cadence. Really? Sure. Yeah. And that's not the worst thing. It means I'm understandable. But I do think it means mm-hmm. I don't necessarily sound native, right? And I think that could be the result of too careful practice with my output.
3: Mm-hmm. I think that... I've also heard the exaggerated pronunciation thing. I think that the way that I kind of interpret it or what I was told at the start and that I've kind of taken to heart is to use songs as my method of doing exaggerated pronunciation, because then you get, you're not going to have natives that are like doing that mistake with the versus if they're a native speaker and they know that they're different sounds. But
0: yeah, um, I would, I would be careful with songs because again, some things are totally different when, when sung, right? sure you, know, you got the um the the stereotypical Shh. indie girl voice or a good example with the like everybody's heard Ramstein, right and when mm-hmm. the Ramstein lead singer is singing he uses an alveolar trill ar-rah, 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 when most spoken Something happens in French yeah. so I would be careful modeling my pronunciation off of singing. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah i think that getting a variety of artists would help a lot with that but i also think that you get the repetition out of it and that and it is kind of exaggerated and you are going to have a lot of chances to work on a specific word even if you just listen to a song enough
1: yeah. Yeah, singing, can be,
0: singing can be wild man can you imagine if you're learning like <laughs> british british english and you're like oh who are you immersing and i'm immersing in- you know, and you give a British band and half of them sing with an American accent, right?
1: <laughs> I think we can all agree that the flaps and trails are more metal than ha. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Depends. Uh, yeah. I wanted to say that I think exaggerating. So I think exaggerating is helpful for people who have this mental block, um, of not wanting to sound native, they feel like uncomfortable. Like they're almost imitating, and but but they in in a way you need to kind of. It's like an ego thing. It's like an identity thing. Like I remember Ian from Korean Patch. Um, his Korean was like only understandable, only comprehensible to his girlfriend for a while, and this was because he was. I, guess, I suppose he just had a, an accent or wasn't really trying to imitate how real Koreans sound because he didn't see himself as a part of that club that's my guess and once he and, and for, for a while he was um, he was just starting to imitate you know stuff he'd saw on dramas or TV for fun and uh, he basically ended up in the situation where he accidentally did that in, fr- in front of other people then he le- in a restaurant then he left to go somewhere. He's like, oh my god, what did I do? And they came back. They're like, wow, your Korean's never been better. <laughs> or I've also heard like students of French uh, who have very trouble, a lot of trouble pronouncing stuff. And then uh, where did I read this? I don't remember. Um, but they come back on on the exam day with like a baguette and a beret, and all are like all exaggerating everything. But they sound a lot better than they usually do. So I think it's good in that situation. But if you're already at the point in the language where you have a strong um, sense of what's overdoing it, then just don't overdo it. Um I think it's there's a difference between enunciating things and overdoing it. Uh if you like I think it's good to be able to um like enunciate words correctly or or like and stuff like that. Because I think speaking quickly is always the harder part. So I don't know. It's also a question of that. But yeah that's my take.
1: My take is that whenever people are trying to exaggerate, imitate, impersonate, whatever, <clears throat> they're mostly just playing with resonance. So, like, they're probably not gonna get the re- the results they want, like all the time, because they don't even know the m- the medium they are using to get those results. So, like, they will it will be like an ne- anecdotal. Like, they would talk about it as if. It's magic or whatever. Um, so um yeah, I don't know. I think most of the people are not interested in in that stuff, so For
0: Sure. Yeah. And we've sparked this debate in the in the chat about uh speaker identity and that could be a whole thing. Really, that could be a whole yeah, that could be a whole episode of the uh, refold and friends roundtable podcast because, you know, your identity in your l2, you know, that is a whole thing, right? If you um, move to a city, and you sound like you're from a different city in that same country, and then you live there for 10 years, and you still don't sound like you're from that city, it could totally affect your life, and your well being in that city and how you're perceived. Uh, we were talking about ian from korean patch who apparently has a a very good regional accent in his korean <coughs> you know he's repping his city and i think that's totally fine you know to um to 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 have the identity of like oh where you've moved to totally and how most people speak <clears throat> okay guys we are at the end of our hour uh thank everybody for coming i thank the listeners i think uh the panel we have alex we have toast we have uh, gabrielle and it was fantastic i'm going to start doing more of these with a little bit more notice probably at the tempo of once a month so keep an eye Correct. out if you enjoy listening to the podcast keep an eye out if you want to be uh, part of the panel or you want to ask questions in the future uh, i think this is going to be a regular thing and i look forward to hosting them
2: Thank you for having us, Clayton. Thank you. Hi, guys. Cheers. Right.
1: Cheers.
0: I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Refold Podcast. If you're watching the live premiere, you're in luck. Right as it ends, we have an after party over on the Refold Central Discord server come join us by using refold.link forward slash join and chat about the episode. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, you can find older episodes to listen to on YouTube and Spotify. Let us know what you thought about the video by liking and leaving a comment below. Do you have suggestions for upcoming visitors or requests for particular topics? Please feel free to reach out to me on Discord at georgepig hashtag 5413 or via email at clayton at refold.la. Thank you all for watching and or listening, and I'll see you next week.